Today, we're continuing our series called Important. Now, how many code writers here? You understand code? Um, very few. That's fantastic. Because um, there's my version of code, and in my version of code, which is a, a very primitive form of, of computer code called CSS, you use it for developing websites, that, that uh, brackets with the X says, this, this code is more important than the code before or after. This takes precedence. In other forms of code, it means the exact opposite. So I'm not sure why, why they did that, but whatever. For me, that, that just looked really impressive. So I thought I'll use that for this series. Um, and the, the point there is that with New Testament scriptures, not all truth is created equal. Not all, there's a provocative statement for you to kick off, isn't it? Not all truth is created equal. Because some truth is contextual to its time, some contextual to its place. Um, but some truth is higher than, than all of that because it's true all the time for everybody in every situation. And so what I'm trying to do is bring out some of these hugely important passages of Scripture that we can always apply at any time, no matter what we're going through in our life. They're fundamental to who we are and what we do. And some uh, of these uh, passages and principles are more than just theological. We've looked at very deep theology in, in, in a pat way, I guess, in the last couple of weeks. But um, the one I want to use today is talking about what it means to be uh, going in Christ. But it's, all, it's like Jesus calls us to follow. He says, come and I'll send you out. It's like, come and go. Uh, follow, I'm sending you. And, it's this, and this whole idea of following uh, was a, a term that he used as one of the fundamental big elements of what it means to be a Christian. Faith, following, and living in freedom. These, they're the big ones. And so following it was and it has always been a deeply practical as well as theological thing. It infers that we're going with him, uh, that we're not alone. It gives us reasons for life, meaning. So it's, it's theological and it's deeply practical. But even a thing like following has become confronted. Most truths that have been self-evident or lived by Jesus' church for 2,000 years have been rock solid. But in recent years, just recent handful of years, much of us just for some reason... It's up for grabs. People are prepared to debate it. But this, I would have thought, is not one of them. But followership and what it means to follow Christ has come under question, especially since COVID, uh, because the whole idea of follow me, what does that mean? For a lot of people have tapped out of church life. Um, and it's what's, what that really revealed for is that a lot, of, a lot of people's hearts and their routine and their rhythms for life were cloaked by the routines and expectations of that church life. And when you get a circuit breaker that says, let's do this from home, suddenly it's like, well, I heard a new term this week. I don't know whether you've heard this one. You know there's FOMO, fear of missing out. Now there's HOGO. HOGO. Anyone know what HOGO is? It's post-COVID. HOGO. It's like, church is on today. Oh, HOGO. Oh, the hassle of going out. This is now a thing. You know what I hate about that? Now it's got an acronym. So now it's normalised and it's okay. It's just hogo. No, it's lazy. It's like, I can't be bothered. That's what it is. The hassle of going out. Don't normalise that. I mean, we don't do that. You guys attend better than any church I know. So uh, I'm preaching to the converted already. But there's a lot of people and I, I, I got to spend the week with a bunch of pastors from churches our size and bigger and, and a lot, of, a lot of people have come back, and most of them are suffering with uh, numerical drops. And people are saying, I didn't sign up for this. Uh, the COVID thing really did hit them hard. And this, this common saying of, uh, I didn't sign up for this. It's like followership meant something else to me. And this whole requirement to pivot and this tiredness that I'm managing with, I, I didn't sign up for this. And one of the pastors, 
uh, termed it this way. He said, we've, we just realised the pre-existing reality that the mildly, mildly dissatisfied amongst us, and there's always a, a, a group of those, often the most highly committed people in your church, the highest givers, most sacrificial, are actually managing a strong level of, of dissatisfaction. And that's the reality of, of pressing through and so on. But they, we, we, the, sorry, I'm going to get this phrase right because it was so good I wanted to quote it. The, there's a pre-existing reality that the mildly dissatisfied were enslaved in cultural captivity. Now, that's a mouthful. But all of us in the room went, yes, that's what it is. People were enslaved in cultural captivity. Church, cultural captivity. And I knew exactly what he meant. Because when you're on a roster, when you're expected to turn up or you're going to let everybody down, it's sort of like a burden of command. It's like, I can't not be there because it's... But when you break that circuit, the cultural captivity stops. And what we don't realise is that the cultural captivity can cloak for us a growing hollowness, a growing discomfort, a growing... The freedom that got me into this thing in the first place is gone, but it's been cloaked. I've painted over it with my cultural captivity. And that's so true. And so those, and normally the percentage in any church, healthy or not, runs at about 20 to 30% of us are trying to manage this in our life. And all of us go through phases of this. But when you get a circuit breaker, guess what percentage drop out of church life? 20 to 30, maybe 40%. And that's exactly what's happened. And so HOGO has become a thing, the hassle of going out. So followership now, and these aren't bad people, they're good people, they're just saying, no, nah, not for me. And, and leaders are going through it as well. This, I didn't sign up for this thing. Lead, Christian leaders everywhere are questioning. And I, and I don't want to give the impression, oh, poor Christian leaders, because the last thing you want is someone bleeding their own case. But um, in the reality is uh, throughout Australia now, and the stats are coming in live, uh, in real time, uh, giving and attendance at best is 60 to 70% what it was pre-COVID. So that brings a lot into the viability of churches. And, and the other stat that I wasn't aware of is this one, is that the goodwill and the approval of our churches towards pastors. I know you all love me and I love you, but, but, the, but this, this, this has plummeted, absolutely plummeted through COVID. People are starting to really dislike their ministers. I'm not going to do a show of hands on this one, um, <laughs> but it went, it went way too quiet for my liking, okay? But, so I'm a sensitive soul. I'm just going to give us all the benefit of, I, I, and hope that you still do love me. But, but the trouble is, in this survey of the, the guys in the room with me and, and ladies, there were female ministers there, um, not one of us had not been either called in the last 12 months the Antichrist or his best friend. And this is, this is real. This is what's happening out there. Like, no, no one here did that. They, they're, they're gone. I <laughs> invited them off the team, you know. <laughs> But, but this is just, isn't this weird? This weird world we've got. And, uh, and this is what we're dealing with. And, and many of them were sort of saying, well, in that group, over half were dealing with either misconduct of their own staff, in, inappropriate behaviour, or uh, sexual abuse issues in their church uh, were going on. And they were just, these poor guys, I feel guilty because God bless us, we, we just had a great run. And I'm aware how off, off the charts it is to experience what we've had here over this time. But these guys were, half of them were in tears. And these are strong leaders, you know, and they're saying, I'm, I'm working harder than ever, but I just can't please anyone anymore. Whatever decision I make, half the people don't like it and so on. And so what are they saying? I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for this either, they're saying. And then a good friend uh, uh, from down in a local church near us, he was there with, 
And he's, he gave us the devotion over, over uh, communion. And um, he reminded us, yes, we did. We did sign up for this. And we were reflecting just for a moment on, on uh, the Apostle Peter when Jesus busted his bubble a little bit and redefined the scope of his role. He was, he was thinking it was going to be all Roman roses, you know, we're going to be king of the, the hill here. And Jesus says, no, you're going to have to go to your cross and take up your cross just like I am. And he had to regroup. He had to pull this whole thing together, but he still said, yeah, this is, I wasn't aware, but yeah, I signed up for this. I signed up. I'm following. And this is a time where we begin to dig deep, where all of us dig deep, because there's no one coming up behind us ready to go and take it to the whole new thing yet. Not yet. So now it relies on guys like us. And we've got to build that next generation coming through because a whole bunch of them have suddenly disappeared. So follow Jesus. Follow him where? We've talked a lot about all that stuff before, but let's go now with Matthew 28. And this is going to be our, our important passage for today. Matthew 28. And you'll know it, but I just want to stay there. And the context here starts in verse 16 where it says, Now the eleven disciples, because um, Judas was no good, so great, great encouragement there, actually, for me. I mean, Jesus only picked 12. One of them loused up. So now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Interesting. After all they'd seen, the, the pivoting and the disruption of their soul brings doubt. Yes, it does. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So Matthew 28, it's, it's his last chapter. It's a very deliberate piece for him. It's, uh, if, you're, if you're a blog writer, you know, at the bottom, you always have the call to action. Uh, if you run a YouTube ad, there's a call to action. This is like Matthew's call to action. It's like, here's the last bit. So after all that's just been said, all that I've just explained, and he's talking, predominantly Matthew's talking to a, a Jewish Hebrew setting, so he's explained it in length more than the other gospel writers. He said, with all that in mind, the last thing I want to say is this. This is what, because of all that, now go. And effectively he's saying that, now because of all I've explained to you, there are implications in your life now, and here is the exclamation mark, this is important. So what I want to do is just break down that journey just a little bit because there are a number of aspects of this journey that mean it's not just about you or me in our own strength just determining ourselves, well, I'm just, just going to go because there's a context that's described here. So in verse 16 and 17 it starts and it says that this is a communal journey. This is a journey that we don't take alone. This is a journey that must, must, must happen in the context of other people. Verse 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So even with the doubts, even though they just lost their mate, Judas, even though Jesus had rewritten the code on, on how this is all going to pan out, it's nothing like what they thought, they were committed to each other. They, they, despite all that they'd lost and all that seemed to make no sense, uh, in the midst of all that real confusion, that real trouble, that real stuff, they said, we're not changing tack now. We're, we don't know where it's heading, but we're, we're, we're in this thing together. And even trouble together, even experiencing pain and anguish like we, we all have to some or greater or lesser degree, 
in the last few years. Even that, if we do it together, is far better than being bored alone. It's far better than just being isolated and trying to figure this thing out in your own steam. So the great thing about this was it's framed as a communal journey. He was talking to all of them. He stuck in there with all of them. He empowered all of them. He sent them all out and did it together. So they were committed to that, but they're also confused. I love this. Some doubted. So little has changed. You know, despite all the, all the training and all the endless messages that I would preach and all the things that we go through, it's, don't we all harbour the doubts? All the stuff that doesn't make sense. And despite all that we know, all that we experience, this doubt and disparity about in this room today, and me included, you know, we could, we could all have our list of things that we just, we just don't understand. And we can't find our Western reason to square them away and have them make sense. But Jesus never accepted doubt. He didn't even recognise it in this passage, as he never seemed to. Whenever someone came up with doubt or unbelief, he, just, he expected faith. He understands it. And we all have it. He just never condones it. He says, this, the doubt is not what I'm, upon which I'm building the kingdom. It's based on the fact that I'm with you and all authority has been given to me and I'm sending you. This is the basis of it. Not whether you believe or, or, or understand or any of that. Just, just go, he said. But it, for me, it just really tells me that any mission that I can do alone, any calling that I perceive for my life, if it doesn't require me to mix it up and experience doubt and trouble and confusion, uh, it's probably not worth doing. It'd be easier on your own, easy just to get it done, all the task-oriented people amongst us, just, just leave me to it and I'll get it done, right? It's not worth it. Whatever it is, you're not going to produce the fruit you need because you need other people to complement your soul. So more than ever, these are times to connect and do the journey together. But then he goes on in verse 18. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. Therefore, because of, he's saying, because of this, go. He came to them. All authority in heaven has been given to me. Because of that, you go. Now, this is based on the, the weeks before we've done where we are sons uh, and daughters, children of God. We are co-heirs. Therefore, or that authority that he has is our authority. Go. So it's saying because of all this, we're directed. So it's an authorised journey. It's a missional journey. This, this trip that we're on is not kumbaya journey. It's communal, but it's not kumbaya. It's missional. It's get out there. And this gives us directive. It gives us reason but the mission defines all about our lives. See, it defines our priorities. It defines our purpose. We've got, to, we've got to square this away. This isn't I get to live my life and add this mission on. It's like, oh, I've got to have my career. I've got to get my house. I've got to get married, look after the kids, and darn it, I'm on mission as well. It actually, it's opposite to that. See, our primary trajectory is not defined by all those things. All those things will and always be important. They always are. But our mission determines how we shape them, not how they shape our mission. You see the difference? You can still look the same. You can still have the career and the business and all the stuff going on. But the mission determines how you do that. Not what you do determines what you've got left over to be on mission. It's a very different way of seeing things. Saying because, all thought, because you're a child of God, because of that, and you can't undo that, you can't unsee that, you can't unexperience that, because of that, we're on mission. So when you're in your workplace, how is that being on mission for Jesus? See, some of us get stopped at the traffic lights of life and we go, I'm just not sure where I'm going. I'm not sure what I should do for God. He hasn't given me a 
job description and I'd open a door in ministry, all this sort of stuff. And so we stop and we're sort of waiting for permission. Like, well, when he lets me know, I'll go. But the, the traffic lights are, are always green. It's the green light zone. This is what he's saying. He's like, because of all this, the, don't wait for, a, a, you're not at a red light waiting for the green. It's always green. Just get going. Just assume. You don't need to pray about this. You don't need to ask permission and direction about being on mission in your workplace, in your home, anywhere. It's green. Just get on with it. He's just saying all authority has been given. You've got to be who you are. It, it'll, it'll overflow. Fill hearts, fuel mission. The doors and the permission, the power already there. I love uh, the Apostle Paul. He, he lived this out. You know, he was, um, he was on mission. You know, he went, and it's, it was by exception that he changed direction. It's funny. He just said, well, look, there's all the world. I'm out there. And he just took off. Wherever he went, he just happened to plant a church called Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth. Just, just did it. Then, and he was on, on his way somewhere else, you know, full on in the boat, doing the whole thing, he has a dream. Hey, oh, whoa, whoa, Paul, I'm not even over there yet. Go, this turn right, because I'm, I'm working over there. And he changed his tack and he builds another church. And it was like almost, it was by exception. The direction came by exception. See, we said that we have our life waiting for those golden moments of direction for our life. God, why haven't you led me? Because he's already led you. <laughs> Just be who he's made you to be wherever he's got you at that time. It's a missional journey authorised. But here's what I love about it. He goes on. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. He's talking about discipleship. He's talking about formation. He's talking about uh, a movement. He's saying... Where, as you go, make disciples. But being a disciple is not the same as making a decision for Christ. We've got to really be clear on that one because this is a Western thing. This is a, a new thing. It sort of um, it came through the West, particularly the US in the time of um, the great evangelists, where it was all about make a decision, make a decision. You know, and that's important, next steps. And I'm going to go dig deep there in a moment. But, but making a, a single decision of faith does not a disciple make you. That's, just, that's a decision of faith. Yeah, you placed your faith in Christ. Well, what, what about what now? There's appropriate moments, and I'm going to get Bree to stick the next slide up and just have a look at these moments because your salvation discipleship journey is not just a moment. Sure, your, your first um, decision of faith absolutely is, and we'll call that out. We'll keep calling that out. But it's what, what happens before and after because you can be on mission. You think, well, I can't do altar calls in my workplace. I hope you can't. That would be weird, wouldn't it? Stand up on your desk. Who wants to come to Christ right now? It's like, no. This is the latest um, added, uh, information from McCrindle Research on Australia. This is about as late as we get, talking about people who are open to Christ and where they are on that sort of scale. The angle scale is a thing that we use to um, assess people's spiritual awareness and spiritual maturity. And it goes from minus 10 to, to zero. Zero is a point where you give your heart to Christ. And then from zero to plus 10 is I'm... I'm, I'm I'm, I'm brand new, then I'm Jesus at, at plus 10. So, but this data talks about those who, are, who basically aren't yet Christian. And it starts at minus seven, and you know, I'm passionately opposed to it, up to uh, minus one where it says, I believe in Christianity, but don't consider myself yet a Christian. So these are pre-zero believers. But look at the ratio. 24% of, Christ, of non-Christians in Australia are warm to the gospel. This goes against all the lefty media out there. Sorry, can I say can I say that? I did. I said it and then I echoed it. I made it worse. <laughs> Can you edit that out? 
I don't know. It's out there now. Um, despite what all the media would say, at least 24% of unbelievers in Australia are open to the conversation and even more, I think it's about 40% will respond to an invitation to come to a healthy church. 40%. It's all about next steps. So you look at these guys and go, I'm passionately opposed. Well, what can I do with that guy? What's the next step for them? Take away the reasons why they're opposed. Have the conversation without trying to get them to zero straight away. It's just all about what's the next step for this guy? You know, maybe it's love them. Maybe it's talk about the fact that they have this opinion that Christians are judgmental and, and hate gay people or something. You know, just, just have the chat. Just be a friend. Get to know them. You can pick it. I believe in the ethics and values of Christianity. And I had that conversation a few weeks ago. Someone said, oh, if I'm just good enough, I'll get to heaven. Okay, let's just unpack that little show it with the truth. <laughs> so you can have these chats and you can have them over a coffee or at work, over the, the water cooler, anything. And, and just, the role there for all of us to be on mission is just to take people to the next step. Don't set the goals too high, just one step at a time. And so we find that discipleship, even for ourselves, and we've got to own this, our own discipleship, we actually have to own it. We sort of think, oh, it's the church's responsibility to grow us. But growing in your faith is, is a matter of personal responsibility in the context of shared accountability. So you're right, you can't do it alone, but it's not someone else's fault if we don't grow. It's our responsibility. A sign of Christian maturity is I can self-grow and I can grow others. And so the church's responsibility is to create opportunities, which we do. So for next steps, if you've got questions about your faith, if you've come in here today and you think, man, this is all bizarre. I've never been in a church before. Um, didn't expect the songs, didn't expect the great light show. Um, but I don't know what to do next. You've got those sorts of questions. We have a course called Alpha, which is perfect for you. There's no judgment, no, no answer is wrong. We'll answer anything. You may have made your decision for Christ, but you haven't become baptised yet. Why not? Why not? Jesus said, repent and be baptised. Like if we can't follow that step, what makes us think we're going to follow any other step that he gives us? If we haven't, if we haven't obeyed the first thing he's told us to do, what makes us think we're going to do the rest? If, if we haven't been baptised, just get baptised. Baptised is, is just a public uh, display of what's happened in your heart. And it's just letting it out there saying, I'm, I'm dead to that old life. I'm alive now in Christ because his spirit is within me. Uh, if you're ready to, to get discipled and grow and learn some things, Zelvin's got a great course called Foundations. If you're ready to overcome your past, we have a reform experience. If you're ready to discern your calling, we have refocus. You can join the team. You can be a part of the growth track. All you've got to do is go to our website. There's a yellow thing there with, with a widget with white feet on it. Just press that and your next steps are all there. It's easy, but, that, but it, it actually is your responsibility. No one can do that for us. No one can do that for us. We can make it available, but it's, it's up to us to do that. And so a formational journey, this, this Matthew 28 deal, we do it with people, we do it because it's us, it's authorised, it's missional, and we do it because it's a formational journey and the journey never ends. But I love the way he ends, and it's, it's basically all this is wrapped up in what we've been talking so much about. It's a spiritual a spirit-empowered journey. He says, and behold, I am with you always. None of it would be possible if he wasn't with us. Our confusion right now, our trouble, our mission, our disappointments, they're greater than our capacity to solve them. If I had did a straw poll of any of us, I'd probably find that you've got more problems in your life than you've got time to talk about them. It's too much. I was explaining to my son, he says, how do you deal with all the, all the 25 things that seem to be going wrong in your life right now? I said, oh, I've got a box for all of them. 
I've got a, I've got a, I use a faith box system. So everything goes in a box. Only go, girls will be going, whatever. They think about everything all the time. You know, but, but guys, we can, we can petition these things off. And, uh, and I just put, it, I'd put a, an imaginary sticky note next to it, which is the process. So I keep the problem in the box. I just get upset when the problems come out of the box, but sh- shove them back in the box. It's such a male thing, isn't it? And I attach a process to the problem. And say, so this problem is going to be solved by this pathway. And I put a little sticky note on there in my mind that says, here's the next step of this process. If I've done my bit and it's up to them, then the box can be shut and I'll wait till it comes out again, you know. And so you can have multiple boxes. But, but there's more problems than boxes right now. And they keep jumping out. It's a problem for us control freaks. It's a real problem. Because the problem is not the problem. The problem is the fact that problems keep coming out of their problem box. They won't go back in. So just like the rest of us, mate, my Christian life is impossible. But the reality is it's always been impossible. It's a fallacy to think it's anything else. It was never designed to be possible in our own strength. But when it's all going wrong and, and you know, you're, you're suddenly lacking purpose and direction and you're struggling with depression and, and all the things that, that come against so many of us, we need to come back to this identity piece that we've been talking into, that the mission rests on the identity. You've got to be able to come back and say, this is all going pear-shaped. He is with me. Go, I'm with you. And when it all falls apart, sometimes all you've got is the only thing that really matters anyway. That's where I get my identity, my purpose, my grace, and the love to live. So what do we take away from this? I mean, there's just so much. We could bury ourselves in there for a long time. But what I've discovered with this is that pain and the disruption of life is not always a thing to lean away from. It's not a thing to avoid or complain about or get hogo on it. It's a thing to lean into. If there's tension, if there's problem, if there's disruption, we don't run away. We lean in. Because often it's an invitation to something greater, a greater experience, a greater opportunity. It's the only opportunity that many of us are going to get to actually grow and become something new and something else. I don't lean back. Let's go there. Let's push into this thing. So two little sub-phrases. What do we do? We keep going. We dig deep. I don't know what your problems are. Keep going. Don't stop. The tension that we're feeling is drawing us to something new, to somewhere new. It's not leading us to Hogo. It's not leading us to nowhere. The tension and the trouble are leading us to somewhere. We don't lean away and get hogo. We lean in and let's address this thing because it's going to lead me somewhere to grow or it's going to lead me somewhere to go. So we keep going. I love Paul, Ephesians 1.18. I pray that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, the incomparably great power for us who believe. That, which, that is always before us. And so our prayer right now is not to lean back. It's to say, what is, Lord, what is that hope that's birthed in that inheritance? You've told me to go. I'm not running away. I'm here. Keep going. Keep growing. We go and we grow. If life's stronger than you right now, it's an invitation to grow. The tension is stretching your capacity. You may have known these seasons where you think, I'm just so uncomfortable at every single area of my life right now. Nothing is settled. It's like the little boundary of my life has been stretched and I'm not big enough to cope with it. It's an invitation to grow capacity. That's what's going on in your life. Eventually, you'll get bigger than it. So don't give up. Keep going and keep growing. 
Let's uh, pray as we invite the team to come up. Lord, all of us have been haunted by the echo in our heads. I didn't sign up for this. When we went through life, someone told us it was all going to be great and it's all going to come our way and you can do anything you can think of. You can become anything you want to be. But life has kicked so many of us in the teeth so often. We lean back and let the hassle determine our life. But now's the time to get going. A Christian's finest hour is that they hope and that they believe right in the midst of disruption and pain and know that Jesus is enough because you've said you'll always be with us. So, Lord, I really pray. I'm praying right now just as I've just been waiting for your leading as I, as I talk away. Lord, each of us here, I can just sense so many have become aware of that sharpness in their life that's causing them trouble and pain. And it hasn't gone away. And, and you're in good company. The Apostle Paul had one of those. He called it a thorn in the flesh. It could be a sickness. It could be, it could be a, a disillusionment. It could be a depression. It could be a, a rotten circumstance. It could be someone else controlling your life when they shouldn't be. It could be any of that. Whatever it is that pricks you like a sharp thorn. And all of our prayers, just like Paul, were, Lord, can you get rid of that thing? For goodness sake. But the Lord was calling him into a greater area of grace and said, I'm my grace is bigger than this. My grace is sufficient for you. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep growing. Because Christ in you is stronger than this. So I pray over you now peace. Peace that's beyond all understanding. I pray the same prayer that Paul prayed, that he would reveal to you the hope to which he's called you and the incomparably great power for you who believes. I pray that you would lean into him as you're leaning into your trouble. Don't shy away. Don't run away. Don't get hogo on it. Press in. But you're pressing into him. You're pressing into the problem and making it serve you, not the other way around. You're bigger than this. You're better than this. Lord, I bless each one who has doubted themselves. This isn't the end of your story. Lord, bless us with hope in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And if you'd like some ministry into that space, you'd like someone to pray for you, please join our team over here after the service. And I pray that grace indeed. Bless you.